listening to Story City Church in Granada Hills, California. We exist to glorify God by leading communities into healthy relationships with Jesus and with others. And here is this week's message. Turn to uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, and we are going to read our scripture today, uh, either in your Bibles or on your phones. It will also be behind me on the screen. When we finish, I'm going to say, this is the word of the Lord. Um, Would you stand? Thank you, wife. Um, Would you stand for the reading of God's word? Man, y'all are good. Um, When we finish, I'm going to say, this is the word of the Lord. And if you believe that is true, um, would you respond by saying, thanks be to God. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 12 through 17. Everything is permissible for me, but not everything is beneficial. Everything is permissible for me, but I will not be mastered by anything. Food is for the stomach and the stomach for food, and God will do away with both of them. However, the body is not for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. God raised up the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. Don't you know that your bodies are a part of Christ's body? So should I take a part of Christ's body and make it a part of a prostitute? Absolutely not. Don't you know that anyone joined to a prostitute is one body with her? For scripture says, the two will become one flesh, but anyone joined to the spirit is one with him. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. What if we just read that scripture and just said, okay, thank you. God bless you. Have a good one. (laughs) Praise God for his word. We're we're super grateful. I don't know why this is up here, but I'm going to share what this is. This is our journal. So if you do not have a journal and you you want one, it's free for those that are part of our church. So if you want one, there's one of the connect table, next step table, right in the beginning of the entrance. You'll see that. Grab one for yourself. Take notes, all that good stuff. It's all awesome. I'm going to put it right here, though. Um, I heard today a rumor, uh, Brendan told me this morning, that there was a rumor that there's a game today. And I was like, what? Brendan's our worship guy, I don't know if you know him, worship leader, Brendan, he was like, dude, I heard there was a rumor, today's the Super Bowl? I'm like, I don't know what you're talking about, I don't know. We actually have two like really awesome fans for the teams that are in the Super Bowl here today. Congratulations, guys, you know? <laughs> Congratulations. They are actual like Eagles and Chiefs fans. Like it's not just like a so I'm excited for you guys from from the places that Yeah. Alright, I'm gonna stop morning. I don't know if I'll watch the game. We'll see. I don't know. Um, my name is Samir. Super happy to have you guys with us. I'm super excited to be here. I'm one of your pastors, and, and we just love being with you guys. We love Story City Church. We're a brand new church plant five months in at this location. We're two locations, one church. So we have another location in Burbank, and um, they're celebrating their seven years of birth, of existence, of life uh, in Burbank. So that's, yeah, let's give a hand for that. We're about five months in, and in September, we'll celebrate our one year, so... That's a part of the journey, so we're excited to be on that journey with you guys. Uh, We're going to continue our series in 1 Corinthians, and it's called Aligning with God's Heart. Aligning with God's Heart. So so as Christians, and I think even those that are seeking God and trying to figure life out, um, wanting to know God's heart and wanting to know, like, 
why we exist in accordance to why he made us, I think is a general thing that many people want to know. Like, how do I live my life now in accordance to what God desires, what God created me for? Uh, And 1 Corinthians is a letter from Paul to the Corinthian church of a lot of people that are new in their faith. Christianity was pretty new. Jesus just died not too long ago. And they're trying to figure this whole thing out. And they're asking that same question is, how do I align with God's heart? How do I do that well? And I think over 2,000 years later, we ask the same question. How do we do that? How do we live a life in accordance to what God's desire is? Um, And we saw, even now, we're only on chapter 6, and we saw the craziness of what they're doing. We just read that passage, and we're like, what what is going on here? So thank God that we get to work through scripture chapter by chapter and know what is God desiring of us and for us. Even hard books, even hard chapters and verses just like we're in right now in 1 Corinthians. And so we're excited to continue that today. We're going to continue and close out 1 Corinthians chapter 6. But before I do that, let me pray for us and we'll jump in. God, we thank you for another Sunday, another week, another opportunity to um, learn and surrender and be near and understand more of who you are. Um, learning more of who we are by, in accordance to who you are and how to live in this life, how to align our hearts with yours, um, knowing that we are broken, that we are hurting, um, and that we are in need, uh, that we're sinners in need of a Savior, and that you came and died and, and made yourself um, that person, that, that God, that creator that we all so desire to be near to, and that's our King, our Savior, our Lord, our God, our boss, our ruler. And God, we thank you. God, I just surrender my heart to you. Uh, we confess our sins to you. We say, God, will you wash us? Uh, not because we are good, but because you are good. Not because we did the right things this week, but because you already took it on the cross. And we surrender to that truth, and we ask you, Lord, as we learn from you, as we preach this word, as we understand you, God, that that I may decrease and you may increase this morning, Jesus. That this word will be clear, that this word be penetrating our hearts so that you may be glorified and that we may be transformed from the inside out. We love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Um, On June 12th, 2011, was a day where Shirley and I celebrated our marital union on our wedding day, June 12th. I had to write it down just to make sure. No, I knew that. Actually, she forgets more than I do, which is funny. I thought, honestly, when I first got married, I thought marriage was going to give me all the desires of my heart. I love that laugh there. That was great. Right? All the things that I wanted in life, all the things that I thought would fulfill me, I thought I was going to get in marriage. So if you're single, you're going to be, I was up for a rude awakening, right? I was like, that's probably not the right perspective after the fact. Marriage and holy union changed everything in my life. Everything. My union with Shirley was, was a learning experience of what loyalty was, but what commitment is, and what it meant to not be my own. That was a big one. 
It went from this whole idea of like me and what I want to do and what I'm going to figure out my schedule to be like today to we and what we're going to do and how we're going to figure out life together. And, and I went from figuring out one sinful person to two sinful people coming together. That's a big difference, right? But marriage taught me really how selfish I have been living my life, that how much I desire to just do my own thing and, and fulfill my own life more than others. I had to unlearn a lot of bad habits and to learn new habits that were going to help and benefit both of us. I had to make decisions that were for both our good, not just mine. If we wanted a thriving marriage, this was, I mean, we did. We wanted, if we wanted a thriving marriage, we both, we both had to be committed to this change and to this growth. See, if I saw that want of desire to change and grow out of just simple obligation because like, I gotta figure this out, I gotta do it just because I want a good marriage, then I would have been up for a hard journey. But because of a deep love for my wife and a deep desire for us to be in love for the rest of our lives, that took away a lot of the obligation of doing it for the sake of just knuckling up and figuring it out. It actually allowed me to grow with my wife in a place of joy. Not that it was easy, but that it was worth it. But that it was worth it. Because if I did it out of obligation, I would have probably grown bitterness and frustration towards her. Because like, oh, I have to figure this out. I have to change this about myself. And it would have been harder that way. So not only is my growth and change vital in my marriage, but my motive makes the journey worth it in marriage. So here we see Paul in what we were just reading. He's helping the Corinthians grasp their union with Christ now. In a lot of similarities, their marriage, if you will, with Christ. Where they went from doing life on their own, doing life how they figured out how to do it, to now they're united with Christ in union. Their old is gone, their new has come, right? What does that mean? What does that look like as Christians, as believers? We hear that all the time. How do I live as a Christian? I'm saved by grace, God's grace alone. Now I can live however I want to live, right? Because his grace is sufficient. 2 Corinthians 5, 17 says, therefore, if it's not up there, but I'm going to read it. If therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed and the new has come. We hear that often. What does that mean? How does that look? In our passage today, I'm actually going to read 9 through 20 as we go through our time together. But in our passage today, this is exactly the struggle that the Corinthians were working with. This is the same exact struggle that they were walking in. How do I live in my new creation and go away from my old creation in union with Christ? This is hard. What does that look like? What does that mean? Especially in, a, in an environment where Christianity was pretty brand new. This whole idea was new. The, they were, a lot of them were Greek at their church, and so they had a lot of experience of the worldly experiences of life that we're going to walk in, and they now had to live a life united with Christ. That's a big jump. 
And I think a lot of similarities come to our picture as believers here in 2023. And so our big idea today for us that I think Paul is saying and helping them understand in Corinth and also believe that he's saying today, is it already up there? Boom. Jumped ahead of me. It's all good. Our union with Christ is a renewing journey towards God's glory. Our union, in other words, our marriage, our union with Christ is a renewing journey towards God's glory. What does that mean? Ephesians 4, 22 through 24 says, to take off your former way of life, the old self that is corrupted by deceitful desires, 23, to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self, the one created according to God's likeness and righteousness and purity of the truth. Renewal, what does that mean? Like to be renewed, it's a, it's a word that's a repetitive word. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a word, I just looked it up in the Webster Dictionary. It said this, it's to make like new. Okay, that's a simple one. To restore to freshness, vigor, or perfection as we renew our strength in sleep. So like when we go to bed every night, our bodies get renewed by sleep. Every morning we wake up, where our bodies are renewed and made new. And then it says, to make new spiritually, to regenerate, to restore to existence, to revive. This one's my favorite. To make exist, to make extensive changes in. Which is interesting. To rebuild, to do again and again and again. It says to repeat over and over, to begin again, once again and again and again. I thought that was interesting. The reality is this idea of having a renewed life in Christ, the old is gone, the new has come, there is a daily renewal for all believers every single day that we are made new in our day of salvation, but we are also being made new every day. What does that mean? There is a tension point for all believers that, that we are saved and made new because of God's grace. So... That just means I just keep living the same way every single day? There's that, right? What does that mean? How do I engage in my daily renewal and journey in life? So I want to give us three steps in our journey of renewal that I hope will help us grasp how we walk in a renewed life in union with Christ daily that I think Paul is trying to help them understand as new believers. The first one is our journey toward salvation. Our journey toward salvation. This is kind of like the wedding day, right? Like, yes, like God has swept me up and saved me by his grace. And Paul is using this passage in this section in the beginning in, chapter, in verse nine, chapter six, verse nine, he says this. I love how in your face he speaks to them. He says in verse nine, don't you know that the unrighteous will not inherit God's kingdom? Do not be deceived. No sexually immoral people, idolaters, adulterers, or males who have sex with males, no thieves, greedy people, drunkards, verbally abusive people, or swindlers will inherit God's kingdom. Verse 11, and some of you used to be like this, but you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. First thing I want 
us to recognize is that we are all on the same playing field. We're all leveled up on the same playing field. Paul is mentioning these sins and he's saying, y'all used to be like this. And if you notice, he's not saying, he's not giving a ranking of sins. He's saying all of these sins lead to hurt, to pain, to not inheriting God's kingdom. He's not saying this one, if you do that one, then maybe if that one, uh, that one's a little worse. If you do that one, then, no, no. He's saying all of these. He's saying sexually, sexual immorality and being someone that is verbally abusive to people is on the same level of sin. And that you guys all used to be that way, he's telling them. Remember that? And so I want to encourage us that, that all of our journey, all of our journey to salvation is 100% grace. That means 100% undeserved. 100% God's coming after us and saying, come, I got you. I'll cleanse you. I'll wash you. I'll make you new. Because I know that all of these sins in your past and your history leads you to a painful place, leads you to damnation. God, God plucked us out of that. So he's giving that context and he's saying it this aggressively because if, you, if we've read in 1 Corinthians 5, we skipped it because we knew we were going to address it today because we wanted it to all come in. He kind of, in 1 Corinthians, if you notice, in the letters, he'll mention something here and then he'll actually address it somewhere else. It's, it's an interesting way. So we didn't want to do that and confuse us. But this is why he's addressing this section to us. In 1 Corinthians 5, this is what happened and this is what he's addressing it says that it is actually reported, so this letter that came to him, this was reported to him, that there is sexual immorality among you and the kind of sexual immorality that is not even tolerated among the Gentiles. A man is sleeping with his own, with his own father's wife. And you are arrogant? Shouldn't you be filled with grief and remove from your congregation the one who did this? So there is, a, there is a concern that there is ignoring of this issue amongst the people. That there is this guy who's sleeping with his father's wife, his, his mother, his, his stepmom is what it is. Like, this is a big deal. It's such a big deal, Paul's saying. This is a big deal even to the Gentiles, even for those that don't believe, and yet you're acting like nothing's happening. This is a big deal. And so he's addressing this concern. If you're saying you're a believer, how are you walking in this? How are you living this way? What's happening? They're missing something, right? They're not understanding what it means to live a life in Christ, to be union, to have union with him. Paul here is saying that this man claims to be a Christian, but yet he's engaging in acts that even the Gentiles won't do. And he claims it's okay. See, we all used to be enslaved and blinded to sin. All of us. By God's grace, we have been made new. We have been made new. See, let us never forget our story and our journey towards salvation. Let's never forget the past of what we were in. And some of us, we have to understand that just because there's struggles that we still encounter today, the fact that sin is made aware to us is a, is a recognition of our salvation. 
that we're not just in this trend of sin with just blindness taking us that way, but we're aware and we're like, wait a minute, that, that feels wrong. What's going on in this scenario? This man that was doing this had no recollection to that. And so he's actually questioning his salvation there. Why is he doing this? And one of the things that was a struggle that Paul was addressing is that they assumed certain things that he did not mean, right? He was saying that we are free in Christ now. We don't need to to do the circumcision thing. We don't need to abide by certain laws in the Old Testament. You have freedom now. He preached that. And what they sometimes understood was actually misinterpreted. They actually started using a quote that he mentions here. They started quoting this whole thing of everything is permissible for me. They started quoting that. Everything's permissible for me. I can do whatever I want. God's grace has saved me. I am now set for heaven. I can do whatever I want. That's what they thought it meant to have Christian freedom. That everything's permissible. I can do whatever I want. And there's that tension that Paul's addressing there. He's like, wait a minute. It's It's not what I meant. That's not what I was saying there. And that leads us to our second step in our journey toward union with Christ is our journey towards sanctification. This is, this is that marriage part, right? The habits that change in the midst of marriage, the, the, the recognition of like, wait a minute, like I, need, I need to work on these areas of life so that my union with my spouse is flourishing. And this is a section in scripture I wanna read again, 12 through 17, what Josh read, I wanna read it one more time to remind us a little bit of what's going on here. Verse 12, everything is permissible for me. So he's actually quoting the Corinthians, right? They're like, they they say this often. He's saying everything's permissible for me. He says, but but nothing, I'm sorry, but not everything is beneficial. Everything is permissible for me, but I will not be mastered by anything. Food is for the stomach, and the stomach is for food, and God will do away with both of them. However, the body is not for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. But God raised up the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. Don't you know that your bodies are a part of Christ's body? So should I take part of Christ's body and make it part of a prostitute? Absolutely not. You can kind of almost see that he's talking about that union we have with God, that marriage in some ways with Jesus. Verse verse 16. Don't you know that anyone joined to a prostitute is one body with her? For scripture says the two will become one flesh. But anyone joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. Flee sexual morality. Every other sin is a personal is sin a person commits is outside of the body, but the person who is sexually immoral sins against his own body. We have to recognize why he's talking this way, uh, why he's using these illustrations of prostitute and sexual morality and this and that. The city of Corinth, it was a highly sexualized place. All right, so there was actual temples that prostitutes were in and, and men would go and pay in these temples. Essentially, sex was worshipped in this place. And they would go and pay and, and prostitution was a normal thing at that time. So Paul is using this illustration in relation to the relationship with Jesus. He's like, you all know what's going on, right? So now that you're a believer, you have to recognize that there is something that happens in that, in that expression in your life. 
that it hurts you, it damages you. Your union with Jesus, are you going to just give away your body just like that? Do you not know that the implications harm you? This is what Paul is trying to help them see. So now we see this tension, right, of freedom and grace that the Corinthians are going through, right? This freedom, this idea of grace, what does that mean? A tension I think all of us experience, all of us experience. Usually one extreme or the other, right? I don't know if, about you, but when I first became a Christian, I was, grew up in circles that like live a life of holiness. Like if you do anything outside of that, then, then you're going to, have, like it was like this work-based perspective of holiness where like if you're not doing the right things, if you're not going to church, enough times, if you're not, uh, if you're listening to the wrong music, if you're, if you're, whatever the case may be, if you're not walking in this holy place, then God is not happy with you. There is this law-abiding, uh, old covenant perspective of holiness that I think a lot of Christians can sway the wrong way. And then there's a whole other side that I think the Corinthians were on. We're like, hey, I'm free in Christ. I can do whatever I want. And I can live however I want. And I'm good because Jesus died for me. And almost abusing that truth. But I think there is a tension right in the middle where we recognize God's grace and we recognize the life that we live in holiness and to walk in that in beauty and in recognition and ultimately for God's glory and for our good. That's the walk of sanctification that I think we're all called to walk in. You see, sanctification is the outward manifestation of what God is doing within us. Sanctification is the outward manifestation of what God has done within us. Christian freedom is the freedom to be able to recognize sin and say no to it. That's what Christian freedom is, that we now have the freedom to recognize sin and to know if we're walking towards it or if we stepped in it to be like, oh, wait a minute. I have the freedom to, to look at that and now see. Those that are not believers and don't understand this, we, they can walk and we, can, we have, I know I have been there, walk in sin and live in sin and not even be aware that it's even sinful. Where there's this, this slavery to it, there's this tension in there that is like subjugated to that sin and that own sin alone. That's where Paul is saying we are not anymore tied to that sin. There's the freedom in that now we can choose away from. Also, we are also free from the consequences of the law. What does that mean? That means because Jesus already took the penalty of the consequences of the law when we sinned, that there was consequences of the old, old covenant law, now that if we misalign ourselves with the law, that we don't have to die the consequence that Jesus already died for us. We are now free from that, that consequence. See, the reality is, is that we don't have to live every day. And I don't know about you, but I remember those seasons of my life where I lived every day thinking, okay, don't sin today, don't sin today, don't sin today, don't sin today. All right, I did okay. And the next day, don't sin today, don't sin today. And then, oh, I messed up. I got to go to church now. I got I to gotta repent. I got I to gotta pay my tithes. I got to go take communion. All right, and then I'm good. Like, that's not Christianity. I, that, that's, that's every other form of religion. 
where there's a weighing scale, like Islam actually believes in this weighing scale of good deeds over bad deeds. And that at the end of their life, when they die and they, they face Allah, they're gonna have to look at the scale of their life and did their good deeds outweigh their bad deeds and that's gonna determine whether or not they made it to heaven. That's, that's not what it means to be a Christian. That God already made a way. That the scale has been blown up on the right side because Jesus already did it. That we are good enough to enter into the gates of heaven because of what he's already done. And so we are actually working and living out of a place of victory already. But this is the transformation of, of our being, of our heart, of our soul, and our mind, and our strength. The grace of our salvation brings us great joy to live holy lives. That this truth, that this reality gives us great joy and gratitude to live a life that is honoring to God and brings him glory and ultimately is for our good. That's a great joy that we walk in. It reminds me of this passage in Romans 6, 1 through 6. Paul's talking about the same thing. He says, what should we say then? Should we continue in sin so that grace may multiply? Because he was just saying that like, the more you sin, the more grace is showing, more, more abounds. And he's like, you can't out-sin God. That's pretty much what he's trying to say. But he says, but does that mean you just keep sinning unknowingly or knowingly even? Verse 2, he says, absolutely not. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Or are we unaware that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore, we were buried with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, so we too may walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in the likeness of his death, we will certainly also be in the likeness of his resurrection. So we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be rendered powerless now so that we may no longer be enslaved to sin. This is why baptism is a sacrament in the church. This is why it's so important. It's a holy practice because not only is it a time to celebrate that the old self is gone and the new self has come and that the, that the person that now has committed their lives to Jesus is now saved and set free by this example of baptism that Jesus already made for way for us and that we're represented in his life and his, his death and his life. But also it's a reminder for all believers now and today. It's a reminder for all of us. Just a couple weeks ago, we were celebrated baptisms. In the, in the expression and seeing, I don't know about you, but every time I see that happen, it reminds me of my renewed life. It reminds me of what happened to me. It reminds me that every day I'm being renewed. Every day there's this expression internally of baptism that's happening within me. That I'm being renewed and reminded that I am dead to my old self, new and renewed in Christ every day because of his resurrected power that lives in me. And that sanctification is what's happening in me, expressed in me, expressed outward. His righteousness, his holiness, this renewed life that I live in. A life that takes on the daily tension of living a life that resembles what God has done inward in me. A righteous life that brings God glory. The motive matters of why we live holy lives. The motive matters. 
That's why sanctification is a lifelong, slow journey. It's a long journey. It's a slow one. And guess what? God is patient, and he's gracious, and he's merciful. I'm writing in this journal every day now, and, and in the top it says, what are three, th- three things you're grateful for before I start my journal, which, I'm, which I really love. And I, and I look back in all of them, and I think the one I say the most is God's daily mercy, like new mercies every morning. Like, I'm so grateful for God's morning mercies, his daily mercies, like that re- renewal, like we go to bed, like our physical bodies go to bed and sleep and we wake up, it's almost like that same thing, like we're dead and we're alive, we're renewed and made new every single morning and it reminds me of God's new mercies every single day, his patience with me every single day in my journey of sanctification, in my journey of living a righteous life in him. This loving union that I have with my savior, my God, my king, my friend who was patient with me. Which leads me to my third and final step in our journey toward union with Christ. The journey toward surrender. Our journey toward surrender. This is where we're made one with him. Our journey toward surrendering in him and with him and to him. Verses 19 and 20 read, Don't you know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God? Then he says, you are not your own, for you were bought at a price, so glorify God with your bodies. You are not your own. I don't know about you, but in our society, like, that's a hard phrase to embrace. You're not yours anymore. You've surrendered your life, you've given your life to Jesus, and you said, God, take me. I'm yours in union, in oneness. This is a hard one, because we want what we think is freedom, that we can do whatever we want to do. We think that's freedom. I can do whatever I want with my body. It's my body. Jesus here is saying, that's not your body anymore. Like, you've surrendered it to me. See, the depth of this truth is really walking into our fullness and true self when we know what that means of not being our own anymore that we've surrendered our bodies to Jesus. Really, who better to live and to surrender to than the one who created you, than the one that knows every single little thing about you, and say, God, I surrender to you. Like, you know me more than I know me. How much freedom is that? That I don't have to wake up and try to figure me out and how to live every single day, but I can surrender that tension of trying to figure it out myself to someone that knows already and knows it well. What freedom that is. Trusting that he knows way more than we do about our own life and how to live a life of thriving and a life of joy. The greatest joy to our surrender is that it brings God glory and God being glorified is for our good. I think when we fully grasp that, we'll we'll be able to walk in it with more joy. That I want to bring God glory, not because um, I just want to hurt myself and surrender myself no matter what, and it's going to harm me. No, no, no. That our desire for God's glory is for our good, is for my good. I do it for his glory, but he responds and, and gives me and allows me to live a life that thrives in him. 
It's a surrendering. Our obedience is in the great joy because we love him deeply. Our obedience is because we love him. It's not out of an obligation. It's not out of a force. It's out of, an ob- it's out of a love and an obedience to him. Jesus says this in John 14, 15, 16, and 21. I think you're going to get a little more than that, but I'm going to skip a little verse. He says this. He says, you, if you love me, you will keep my commands. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever. Verse 21. The one who has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. And the one who loves me will be loved by my Father. I also will love him and will reveal myself to him. You see, guys, it's not an ultimatum that he's given. He's not saying, hey, if you love me, then, then you'll prove to me that, I mean, if you obey me, then you'll prove to me that you love me. No, no, no. He's actually not saying that because that means that he's saying, if you display obedience, then you're saved. But reality is, and he knows this, that our salvation is by grace and grace that he has given to us. But what he's saying is that Jesus is clearly saying that, that the evidence of your deep love for me The evidence that you desire to love and care for me is how you live on a daily basis. I don't know about you, but in marriage, and if you've seen it, me expressing my love to my wife in words is good, but if through the journey, if there was those bad habits that I didn't, was not willing to break, and the good habits that I was not willing to learn, and I completely disobeyed that whole process, I would have not shown my wife love. My inability to obey the process and to recognize that this is for our thriving relationship is a response and an, uh, and an outward response that I don't love you. And so Jesus is not saying, prove to me and I'll give you salvation. No, he's saying, by your obedience, it's evidence that you love me. And the reality is, is that this obedience is wonderful because our surrender to him is trusting and he knows what's best for us. So the obedience that he's asking us to walk in is actually for our own good. The things he's asking us to walk in actually helps us in many, many ways that we think that we can help ourselves better than he can help us. Our obedience is for for our good. Because when we obey him, He heals our broken hearts. He keeps us from harm and the horrible consequences of sin and evil. He leads us into green pastures. He lifts our head in times of despair. He speaks to us as we commune with him intimately. He leads us with wise answers when we come to a fork on the road in life. He gives us a life of abundance in him that leads to his ultimate glory. You see, our life of sanctification, our life of of transformation, our life of holiness is not an obligation. It's a joy. It's a privilege because of the one that we do it for, because of the one that we love and worship, because the one that walks with us and is patient with us and is gracious to us in the process. We are not doing it to earn anything. We are doing it because we love him. And guess what? It's better for us. It's for our good. Brothers and sisters in Christ, let us remember that our union with Christ is a renewing journey 
towards God's glory. It's a constant renewal every day. God's doing a work in us. This is why our walk is a daily slow process and why we practice as the church together. See, this is funny because in church environment and as Christians, it's kind of flipped than, um, sorry, I'm gonna bring another sports reference in. It's kind of flipped than, than what you are on a typical team, right? There's one, or at least for a football team, there's one game a week, right? And you practice all week for that one game. In the church, it's the other way around. Right? Game day is every day of the week. Our practice is right now. We hear the word, we learn it, we understand it, we try to activate it, we practice it, we worship, we understand it. And, we, and, and that's actually why we're incorporating missional groups. Because we recognize that once a day, once a week is not enough. Like we need to practice more so that when we go out on the game field, when we go out on game day every single day, when we go to our workplace, when we go to our home, when we come home uh, at the end of the day, um, what I like to call the fourth quarter, right? When you get home at the end of the day, it's like, man, that's, that's the fourth quarter. That's when you win the day. How are you going to love your, li- your wife? How are you going to love your kids even on a hard, long day? And the journey of that is the sanctification, the slow work that God is doing in us expressed outward in our life. And what a joy that we get to walk with someone that loves us that much and that patiently to be able to refine us, to renew us, to make us new every single day. The journey towards salvation is something that we should celebrate and share. The journey towards sanctification is a daily renewing that takes time and effort. And the journey towards surrender is where our union with Christ is trusting that he knows what's best for us and that he wants us to be near as we commune intimately with him every single day. So I want to encourage us in that, to walk in that, to live in that, to enjoy our life with him. Let me pray for us. Jesus, we thank you for your union with us, that you came and plucked us out by your grace to be in union with us so that we can live a life that is representing your glory, that is bringing you honor, that is bringing you praise. We are so grateful that you're patient with us, that you love us, that you walk with us in that. We exalt you, Lord, and we surrender our hearts, our lives to you. Uh, And may you be glorified, Lord. God, and we do, we also ask you to rebuke us in seasons when we are misaligned and when we aren't fully getting it, just like Paul did to the Corinthians. Uh, We we are in need of straightening out. Uh, But thank you that you are gracious in the way you do that. You are kind in the way you do that. And that we have a body of Christ that we can walk with in that uh, and live and, and love and care for one another as we journey through this process. We love you, Lord. We commune with you and we exalt you in Jesus' name. Thank you for joining us for this week's message. If you'd like to join us in person, our services are Sundays at 10 a.m. and we're located at 11011 Havenhurst Avenue in Granada Hills. Find us on Instagram at StoryCityGH or online at StoryCityChurch.com. Go and be the church.